Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. So in spring of 1739, John Wesley, this will get interesting, I promise. John Wesley wrote in his journal that he was submitting himself to become more vile. The founder of this movement that we call Methodism, that we are inheritors of and we are caught up in as a continuation of this movement, uh, the founder of Methodism in 1739 made a commitment to be more vile. I think that's pretty, pretty sweet, honestly. I think that's kind of cool. Like what he says after that and reflecting on his decision to become more vile is that he had grown up in the church where there were strict boundaries around decency, that he had come to believe in early adulthood that there was no way, no way to have faith unless it was given to you through the church. So John Wesley as a 35-year-old man, decided that previously held beliefs were no longer helpful in his ministry. And he submitted himself to become more vile. Now, there's a lot of baggage around why he made that decision. In uh, 1737, he got kicked out of Georgia, like the state of Georgia, uh, because he had kind of fallen in love with this girl that he never really had honest conversations with, and then she got married to another guy, and then John Wesley was like, oh, you can't receive communion here anymore, because I think it was too hasty for you to get married to him. You jumped into that relationship too fast, so you shouldn't receive communion anymore. Um, that's wild. Right? So John Wesley, eventually her new husband and some of the other folks in Savannah, Georgia, sort of started building up more and more of a case about John Wesley was a hypocrite and that he was uh, speaking out of turn and that he was causing chaos in his community. And so John Wesley kicked out. Before he was brought to trial, he ran from Georgia back to England. That's the founder of our movement. So he came back to London, and he was, I mean, it seems pretty clear if you read his journals, he was in a period of time that was just dark for him. Uh, he was really questioning whether God was present in his life or not, and really struggling with the idea of whether or not, you know, he'd been serving as a pastor, and he'd been sent to be a pastor, but he doesn't, he wasn't really sure that God was with him all the time, or that he was being faithful to God all the time. And you can see both in his journals and in his letters, he's really wrestling and he starts sending letters to colleagues and friends and even former parishioners saying, I never actually believed any of these things. And that stirred up even more controversy, right? Because him being honest about where he was in his faith meant that for these people who'd been led by him, they, he was a hypocrite. 
and breaking his sacred oath of the priestly office. So John Wesley goes through this period and starts sort of stepping out of the norms and customs of the church that he had grown up in because he was receiving all of this pushback to his spiritual exploration and receiving all this pushback to his experiences of doubt and starting to get a lot of really, um, you know, if it were the 21st century, we would probably call it like hate mail. Like, you know, people starting to um, really aggressively come against him and his ministry. And so he, taking a step back, started spending more time with a group of people called the Moravians, who are sort of German uh, 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 spiritual leaders who really focused on, like, the contemplative practice and the assurance of faith that came through quiet and stillness. He had originally been introduced to them when he was on the boat going to America, and a storm came up, and somehow this group of people is able to stay calm through the storm. And so when he's in his darkest moment, he remembered that little experience when he saw the Moravians who were able to maintain some peace. And so going through his own storm of life, he reached back out to that same group and started learning from them. And he started to grow again, spiritually. He started to experience more of their community and more of their social ties, and he started going through some of their practices more and more, and eventually, in 1738, the next year, he had an experience that uh, the Methodist Church calls the Aldersgate experience, when he writes in his journal, in reading Martin Luther's preface to the Book of Romans, which... My God, I cannot even imagine um, reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. John Wesley felt a strange warming of his heart where he felt the absolute assurance of God's presence in his life. Couldn't explain it, couldn't describe it, but knew for himself that God was fully present. And from that moment on, he starts growing in both his, he starts writing more about what it means to live faithfully. He starts learning more from the Moravians, and he starts building communities in London again. So I know this is a lot of history, but it's really cool. I mean, I think our Methodist stuff is so cool. It really is. Because it's so beautiful watching a man who is so imperfect try to stumble his way through finding some capacity to live faithfully. And I know that there are people in this room who have stumbled from place to place trying to find a safe community where your spirituality could be explored. Because you tried to express doubt in one place and they told you, do not do that. Or you tried to ask a question and of, a, of a spiritual leader and they said, oh, we don't... We don't ask questions here. There's only assurance. And John Wesley is the perfect model of how to take what you can from some places, but try to be faithful to where God might be calling you to go. Because doubts and confusion and all of these experiences can be so fruitful if we allowed to have, allow ourselves to have them. So John Wesley goes through all of those. So... When he comes back to London after spending time with the Moravians, he comes back to his first small group, his Bible study that he had started uh, when he was much younger. And when he gets there, he finds out that a guy named George Whitfield has been leading everything. And uh, George Whitfield is like, like the, uh, this is too strong. I'm trying to think of a good example. I want to say Joel Osteen, but that's probably wrong. But he was... Uh, like, very charismatic 
very like easy draw of huge crowds and people always left his sermons just absolutely motivated to follow after think of like a maybe an andy stanley is a better option where like you can agree like i am fine with most of what andy stanley says and does but i'm also kind of like it's like you're too successful and that makes me feel weird you know like that kind of feeling you know what i mean Maybe that's a very, that's a very preachery thing, but like that, like, like, ooh, I think I like what you're doing, and also I have some concerns about it. That was sort of George Whitfield. Uh, people wrote about him as being uh, very power hungry, that he had all these things, but I think that just happens with charisma. So anyway, George Whitfield is leading this group that was John Wesley's group in London, and when John Wesley gets there, he sees that George Whitfield has grown this community to be huge, and he's preaching to thousands of people, not in churches, but outside of churches in like parks and mines and all of these other spaces. And so John Wesley sees what George Whitfield is able to do. He's just has hit, has hit up, had had his own experience of, of experiencing the full presence of God. And so when he comes back to London, starts talking like a Moravian in George Whitfield's community, which was more Calvinist, which you don't need to get into, he shows up and he's not welcome in the churches in London anymore because he's resistant to a lot of what the Church of England has as official doctrine just because he's trying to be more quiet, more grounded, more contemplative, more spirit-driven in his approach than what was customary in the Church of England in the 17th century. So he shows back up to London, he tries to go preach, and the Church is like, no, get out. So John Wesley submitted himself in 1739 to become more vile. And what he meant by vile is stepping outside of the walls of the church to do something radically different. He had been um, taught as a priest coming up in the holy orders. Because he sensed God doing something incredible beyond the walls of the church. And rather than being stuck in his little corner, rather than assuming the church authority knows everything about everything, John Wesley stepped beyond caution into an unexplored territory to draw new people into an experience of the grace and love and mercy of God. That's the legacy that we're handed as Methodists. You can forget every one of those dates. 1739 doesn't matter. George Whitfield's name doesn't matter. John Wesley's name doesn't matter, except that they help remind us of what Methodism is. It's not, Methodism was never intended to be a new denominational reality with a particular hierarchy and a particular order of running the church and a particular way of structuring your leadership and a particular way of having uh, buildings built for the sake of worship of God. The Methodist movement was entirely, entirely guided by the experience of religious trauma informing a need for some wiggle room around authority. 
through religious trauma into a space of spiritual exploration. And then the building of safe community structures. That's the Methodist movement's legacy from religious trauma and baggage through deep introspection and spiritual growth with mentorships, even if those mentors are not perfect, that's okay, into sanctuary, safe, brave community. And where we have hope in our legacy is in our capacity to let go of things that need to be let go of, to trust that God is still moving in this particular moment, and to join with our community to discern where God might be calling us to go. The Methodist Church will continue to be, as a denomination, will continue to be in the news because in too many ways we've prioritized structure and authority. That's what happens when movements build structure. That's what happens. They just become a new structure. And now we have an opportunity to reflect on that, acknowledge that, and find a new space to discern, trusting that the Spirit is still active and moving, because we're surrounded by a community of people who cares for us, not because we're a part of the structure, but because we're discerning the will and spirit and movement of God. That's, that's what the big story is. And then for us as individuals, if you've ever been harmed by the church, and honestly at this point, who hasn't? It's all to degree, right? Some of us have been really significantly wounded by the church and our experience in it. I want to acknowledge that. But all of us have had those tense moments where a door was closed or a window slammed shut and we felt stuck in a system that we weren't comfortable with. We can acknowledge that. That's the beginning of John Wesley's story. Doors of the church being shut in his face because of his exploration of his own doubt. The work that we're called to is the brave work of being able to let go of some of that institutional baggage while still maintaining our trust in God. I'm seeing nodding heads. That is hard work because for a lot of us, God equals church or what's been handed to us in church. So letting go of that while maintaining our relationship with God or strengthening or maybe building for the first time our relationship with God is difficult and painful work. And a lot of us are here, and that's good. That is okay. That is faithful. And I hope we can have conversation about what that looks like. And then as we explore what our faith is, it's essential for us to not become isolated in it. So that as we explore, as we search, as we ground ourselves, as we learn to trust God and the Spirit's movement and the, the path that we go in, we would never be alone, but can name our doubts and our wounds 
honestly in community so that we can be cared for by community that might give a better representation of what God is doing in our lives. Do you see this sort of interplay? That's the story of Methodism in part. It's a much bigger story. It's a really cool story. I've got lots of books. We can talk all about it. But like that to me is why the Methodist church is so beautiful because we're not called to rigidity that's never been a part of who we are. It's part of what we've become. And now we can repent of that, <laughs> acknowledge that, and move forward in trust. Because at the end of the day, God is still moving. God is still working in your life for your own sake and for the community's sake. And we have a community in which to explore these things together that's safe. And I hope that you experience that safety here. And if you don't, honestly, please tell me, and we will find a place for you to feel safe. Never let the structure get in the way of God's movement in your life. Never. Never. God is doing good things. And the more we can see that and join in with that, the better we all will be for it. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org. Mm-hmm.